As you know, we've been studying the times of Noah and the words of Jesus where he said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And we're carrying on with Genesis chapter 8. We read some verses from Genesis chapter 8. And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters assuaged. The fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters returned from off the earth continually. And after the end of the hundred and fifty days, the waters were abated. And the ark rested in the seventh month on the seventeenth day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, were the tops of the mountains seen. And it came to pass at the end of forty days that Noah made the wind, opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent forth a raven which went to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. He also sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot and she returned unto him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand, and took her, and pulled her in unto him into the ark. And he stayed yet another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came in to him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. And he stayed yet another seven days and sent forth the dove which returned not again unto him any more. And it came to pass in the six hundredth and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the seven and twentieth day of the month, was the earth dried. And Noah, and God spake unto Noah, saying, And we'll just stop there. As you know, as we've been looking at the story of Noah and the ark, we have been, uh, just before each talk, looking at the situation in our world. A world where there is violence, and where there is war, and rumours of war, and famine, and all the rest of it. One of the signs of the end days is, of course, that there will be a one-world government. And I was looking at some bits of information which I thought I'd bring along today. And here's an interesting piece. A spokesman for the ecumenical group Churches Together in Britain and Ireland uh, made a declaration. 
their one world week which was from the 22nd to the 22nd of 27th of October had been particularly helpful listen to this in achieving our eventual aim of a one world government that is their essential aim they say their eventual aim is to have a one world government there was another piece here uh, in that respect if I could just uh, find it yes here we are Catholic bishops in Europe call for a one world government. Roman Catholic bishops in the European Union have issued a report calling for the creation of a global government, global government to counter worldwide poverty and instability. This is the type of thing that the Antichrist, of course, will also promise in his quick rise to power in coming days. Here we are, the, the uh, churches together aiming for a one world government the Catholic bishops in Europe calling for a one world government so things are not good just as scripture says that's the way it will be as it was in the days of Noah so shall it be in the days of the coming of the son of man one of the problems of course is that uh, we, we don't know where people who we regard as, as evangelicals, where they stand in the present day appear. So let's now just leave that as we look again at Noah and see what we can learn from this passage which we read. Always bearing in mind that this is what we expected because Jesus said that's the way it was going to be. We start off to, today by, by the, the reading by saying God remembered Noah what a wonderful truth is here displayed and God remembers you and me Noah had been in the ark at this stage for five months and no doubt he'd been kept very busy however he had exercised complete faith in God all through this experience he we read that he he lived by faith and amidst the storm and amidst all the the, the battering that the ark took, Mo, Noah lived by faith. We never hear of a read of him doubting God in anything. Do we exercise that same faith in Christ? I was thinking uh, of, when I was looking at this, of the way that God remembers Isaiah 49.15 says, Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yes, she may forget. Yet, will I not forget thee? What a wonderful promise this was uh, God had for Israel. He said, can a woman forget her, her child? Oh yes, she may. But I will not forget thee. In Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, there's a verse which says, And they that feared the Lord 
spake often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared him. And that thought upon his name. A book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord. And that thought upon his name. People were talking and chatting about the Lord. They were talking to their friends about him. They thought about him. And God was writing a book of remembrance. There's a book being written in heaven. I wonder what's written about me today. Have I thought upon his name today? Have I got that awesome fear of the Lord? If you have, God is writing a book of remembrance. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, there's a verse, verse 17. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. How can this be? Well, it goes on to say, Where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Our sins have been remitted. We have been acquitted by God. Therefore there is no more remembrance of sin. The writer here is, is comparing the two covenants. With the legal sacrifices there is a remembrance of sin every year. Go back to verse 3 of chapter 10. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. And so they had to have the great day of atonement when the high priest went in and he first of all because he was a sinner had to offer a sacrifice on behalf of himself and then he offered a sacrifice on behalf of the people it says but in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year but in the new covenant there is no remembrance of sin it because where remission of these is there is no more offering for sin but this man offered after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down on the right hand of God and then he says your sins and iniquities will I remember no more he puts them in the depths of the deepest sea he puts them behind his back as far as the east is from the west so far hath he removed our transgressions from us he remembers them no more remembering is something which we do consciously we recall things to mind we have things in remembrance we're mindful of them but he says I won't recall your sins I won't bring them to mind it's better than saying that God forgets I looked up the, the 
dictionary meaning and it said inadvertently omit and there's always a chance when we forget something that suddenly we will remember it again but God says no I'm not going to remember it I will consciously put it away from me and you know the wonderful thing here too is that when when Noah was in the ark it says and God remembered the animals going back to verse 1 again and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. God remembered the animal kingdom, which was also necessary for the continuing welfare of man on this new earth, which was going to be presented to Noah. And then, in the next few verses, we see that God caused the, the waters to be abated. He'd been in the ark with his family for 150 days but the judgment of God ceased and the ark it says in verse 4 rested in the seventh month on the seventeenth day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat now in these last few weeks we have been looking at the ark as a type of Christ with Noah and his household protected and they were protected by the pitch you remember that and the pitch the word used for pitch as we have said on a few occasions now was the same word as is used for atonement throughout the rest of scripture and because of the atonement wrought by the shedding of the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ we are saved from the judgment of God now we also had a little lesson a few weeks ago regarding the Jewish calendar. And let's turn to Exodus chapter 12. And we'll go back and have a look at this. It's a lovely thought this actually. Exodus chapter 12. The first Passover, the Jews were in Egypt. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, and he said, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months, and it shall be the first month of the year to you. And so here we have the calendar is changed. They were coming out of Egypt. They were to get a lamb, and they were to keep it. And on the 14th day of the month, they were to examine that lamb, and they were to prepare it, it was called the day of preparation uh, look at verse 6 and ye shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening in verse 5 it says your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats so on the 14th day of the first month we have the lamb being slain. Now we saw that the seventh month became, at this stage here, became the first month. Go back to Genesis. And when did the ark arrive on Mount Ararat? 
the ark rested in the seventh month, which in Exodus now becomes the first month. And it rested on the 17th day of that month. So we have the ark resting on Mount Ararat on the 17th day of the first month as it would be if you were counting the months according to Exodus chapter 12. Now let us uh, go forward to Mark's Gospel uh, chapter 15 and look at verse 42. And this is after the death of Jesus on the cross. Now when the even was come on that same day, because it was the preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath. Go again on to a bit further, go on to John chapter 19. And there are many references to this within the Gospels. But look at John chapter uh, 19. And verse 14. <coughs> it was the preparation of the Sabbath. And about the sixth hour, and he said unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. It was the preparation, the day of preparation of the Passover. Now go on to verse 31. The Jews therefore, this is, uh, let's go back to verse 28. After this Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. Now, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they m might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and broke the legs of the first and of the other, which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they broke not his legs. And so what had happened to Jesus? Way back in Exodus, we saw that on the 14th day, they, they had this lamb and they examined the lamb to make sure it was without blemish. And they slew the lamb on the day of preparation. In John here we read that they brought Jesus before Pilate and Pilate found no fault in him and they took Jesus out and they crucified him on the same day, the day of preparation. He was taken out and slain on the 14th day of the first month and he was in the tomb, as scripture says, three days and three nights from the 14th brings us to the 17th 
the same day that Noah's Ark, a type of Christ, rested on Mount Ararat after the judgment. And it's interesting to note in verse 31, The Jews therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, brought Pilate, they besought Pilate that their legs might be broken. Now it's interesting, it says, for that Sabbath was an high day. Why did they uh, put in that extra little bit? It is because that within the Jewish uh, feasts, as well as having the weekly Sabbath, there was a Sabbath attached to the feast. And that's what they're referring to here. It was necessary, Jesus said, that he would be in the grave three days and three nights in the body in the in the in the earth, similar as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. Jesus was crucified not on a Friday. It would appear that he was crucified, and I believe that he was crucified on a Wednesday. The next day was a Sabbath, the Sabbath of the feast. They put him in the tomb because they didn't want him hanging on the cross on the Sabbath day. The women went and bought the spices and they prepared them on the Friday. They didn't go to the tomb because if they had been in contact with a dead body they would have been uh, unclean for the weekly Sabbath and then on the morning of the first day of the week they went out to the bo to embalm or to uh, treat the body of Jesus and Jesus at that stage was already risen from the dead he was slain on the 14th three days and three nights was the same day, the 17th, that Noah's Ark rested on Mount Ararat. And what does Mount Ararat mean? The curse reversed. Ararat means the curse reversed. And how is that? How is the curse reversed? In Galatians 3.13, it says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every man that hangeth on a tree. In Revelation 22, verse 3, it says, There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. What a wonderful thing. We have been saved from the curse and the wrath of God because of what the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we put our faith and trust in him, the curse is reversed. Let's go on. Go back to Genesis chapter 8. We want to move on quickly. In verse 5 it says, And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, were the tops of the mountains seen. Oh, this, this is, uh, after it had landed on Mount Ararat, he had to wait another 74 days or so. And then the tops of the mountains were seen. What excitement there must have been. The tops of the mountains had appeared. And for the believer in Christ, like Noah, we see the hills of Zion in the distance. 
In Hebrews 11:16, it says, But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. We see in the, with the eyes of faith the tops of the mountains of Zion. We see that city which God has prepared for us. We're only passing through. We used to sing that song, This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. We're only pilgrims going through this world. We should be keeping our eyes on the tops of the mountains, on the hills of Zion. That spiritual Zion which we shall attain. First John 3, 2 Behold, now are we the sons of God, but it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is the mountain tops appeared and it must have given all those people in the ark a great boost we are living in a world which is still we can see the judgment of God on it but for us who are Christians we can see the tops of the mountains we can look forward to a better city our final resting place and then it says and it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. Then another 40 days. 40 in scripture is a great time of testing. The children of Israel were in the wilderness 40 years. And lots of 40 years. Christ was tempted 40 days. And Noah opened the window. This was just an ordinary window. It's a different word than it was used in, in, in Genesis 6, 6, 16, 6.16 when, when God explained to Noah how to to put this light in the in the center the, it was noonday and it spoke to us of the light of the the gospel the light of the holy spirit the light of the world is jesus now let us try to explain uh, and look at the let's look at the dove and the raven and uh, we need to move on raven was an unclean bird he, the, Noah took the raven and he, he let it out through the, the window to see what would happen. And it didn't come back. The, it was an unclean bird and the unclean bird can live in the filth in the midst of judgment. Unsaved man can make himself at home in the uncleanness which exists in our world and does not seek, the, sadly does not seek the shelter of the ark. Man is in sin and he can remain in sin and is not conscious of his need unfortunately of the shelter of the ark but not the dove the renewed mind that speaks to us the renewed mind cannot find rest in the ruin of the world this little bird was let out and couldn't find rest in the ruin around him the dove returned and the second time it returned with an olive leaf in its mouth. The wonderful truth that the judgment was passed and the promise or earnest of a future inheritance. What a message for dear old Noah and his household. Hope. There was new life. That little leaf was brought back in. And what a, a message for us. When in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 it says, 
in whom also ye trusted. After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. When we are saved, we are given the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, is the earnest, the seal of the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest that we shall receive that wonderful salvation complete and totally in heaven. So Noah could just sit back and wait in patient expectation of a new earth. And we, with patience, should sit and wait. And with expectation and hope of the glory which shall be revealed unto us in the last days. Romans 8, 21 and 25, and with this we will probably close. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. But not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. You know how we do it. We say, Lord, come quickly. We're waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for what, for that we see not, then we with patience wait for it. But if we hope for that we see not, then we with patience wait for it. One thing Noah had to learn when he was in the ark was patience. After uh, five months, the ark rested on Mount Ararat. But it was another seven months and a few days before Noah uh, got out of the ark. When we are saved, we have our names written down in glory. But we still have to live in this world of sin. We still have to go through the daily routine but within us we have the earnest the guarantee of our salvation the Holy Spirit he is the seal guaranteeing our place in glory he is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession the possession has been purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ and by his shed blood. And then we too will share in that glorious heaven which he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. And it is up to us to live a life pleasing to the Lord Jesus and pleasing to God. I 
I have a thing here that Spurgeon wrote way back in the 1860s in the Christian world pulpit. And it's an exhortation and it's a fitting conclusion to the remarks here as we have to travel and work and live in this world. And this is what he said. Gentlemen, I venture to advise you to wear no armour for your backs when you have finally determined to follow the track of truth. Receive upon your breastplates of righteousness the sword cuts of your adversaries. Their stern metal shall turn the edge of your foeman's weapon. Advance with the resolve in God's strength never to turn aside. Let the right be your Lord paramount. For, but for the rest be free and your own masters still. Follow truth alone and for your own sake. Follow her in evil report. Let not many waters quench your love to her, that is to truth. Set her as a seal upon your heart and a seal upon your arm. Lean on her arm and she will be a sure support. Bow to no customs if they be evil. Yield to no established rules if they involve a lie. Think it better to lose the approbation of the good through following your conscience than to win universal applause by yielding even an inch when you know you are contending for the right. Do not evil. Even though good should come of it, do good even if evil should follow. Consequences. This is the devil's argument. Leave thou consequences with God, whose business it is to overrule all things. Go thou and do the right. If friends fail thee, do the right. If foemen surround thee, do the right. Be genuine, real, sincere, true, upright godlike if you would be anything in this world and serve your generation do what you know in your own soul to be the right thing for you before God you will be eccentric if you do for the world's maxim is trim your sails and yield to circumstances you are I hope made of sterner stuff and mean to make your times rather than be made by them. You intend not to yield, but like the anvil, you will endure all the blows until the hammer breaks themselves. If you be misrepresented, use no crooked means to clear yourself, but wait patiently, for there is time enough. Clouds do not last long. They will soon blow over and leave a genial rain behind them. If unhappily, for a time in the course of duty, you should be tried by the distrust of your friends. Never mind. Gird up your loins and say in your heart, I will not be driven to virtue by the encouragement of friends, nor will I be repelled from it by the opposition of foes and the coldness of friends. I have learned in another school than that of man. 
and having learned of God to take his word for my guide, why should I fear what man can do unto me? This you shall find to be the safest and happiest path of conduct. It shall make you useful to others, happy in yourselves and honorable to your God. And when life closes, your sunset shall be without a cloud, because you have walked in the light of God, and you rest in his radiance. When you see people whom we respected as true evangelicals going astray and we see organizations failing, let us make sure that we stand firm with the whole armor of God and having done all to stand.